Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty, soon to be joined by my brother Brian. Uh, we're going to be talking about corn rootworms on today's show and also taking your calls and agronomic questions. Lots of things going on there. Hey, here we are. It's July 1st. It's a whole new season. All those dicamba options off the table now past July 30th. And so we're going to be talking about that, I'm sure, with some questions in the Ag PhD mailbag. And of course, our, our phone lines at 844-44-AG-PHD are always open for your agronomic questions. Okay, uh, let's get into corn rootworms just a little bit. And I, I know a few days ago, we I can't remember who, which guest we were talking to that was discussing. Uh, it, it was uh, Ron Meyer out at Colorado State was talking about corn rootworms and, and rootworm digs that they're doing in Colorado and how they're seeing some corn rootworm larvae right now. We're seeing the same thing here, and it's not just in the cornfields. Where I would encourage you to do some corn rootworm digs is out in the soybean fields, volunteer corn. A lot of growers struggling this year trying to get volunteer corn under control. And while you're out in the field and you're pulling out the whirl of the corn plant to see, ooh, is it brown down at the bottom? Is it, It's killing the plant from the inside out, the, the spray that you put on to kill your volunteer corn. Also, dig up the root system and just see if you've got corn rootworm larvae feeding there. It was, boy, probably six or seven years ago when I was out with a new camera person we had for Ag PhD. They had never really done a corn rootworm dig before, and they were actually looking for some wireworm out in a field, and we dug up some plants, and here you go. We got corn rootworm, and when they were looking for rootworm, we found wireworm, <laughs> and so you never know what you're going to find out there, but when you do some digging right now, hey, it's prime time where those corn rootworm larvae are hatching, so that's why we talk about a lot of times, hey, spray for corn, uh, volunteer corn in your soybean fields with your very first pass in crop, because otherwise, you're going to be a host corn rootworm larvae i walked in a couple minutes late to the or a minute late or so to the radio show here and i was busy talking to some of the head people with fmc in the united states and it's funny that we are talking about corn rootworms because that's one of the things i had brought up to them saying we're flat out seeing more rootworm pressure in the the midwestern united states because a lot of people have been switching away from smart stacks. Uh, in fact, a lot of people have been going conventional. But there's so much VT double out there, and the, uh, the the corn that doesn't have the rootworm trait or traits, well, the the rootworm numbers are building, and and now we're getting back to just about full planted acreage for corn. I think next year we might see even more corn acres. So what's that tell you that? chances are this rootworm thing is going to continue to become a bigger problem. I even have had several calls here from agronomists and farmers over the last couple of weeks. What can I do for a rescue for corn rootworms? <laughs> I go, rescue? There's no rescue for corn rootworms. Back in the old days, we used to sell uh, Furidan, or I should say recommend Furidan for farmers who wanted a rescue, but you had to do it really early and you had to have like three inches of rain on it. You could try Lorsban if you wanted to over the top, but I mean, seriously, you got to get three to five inches of rain on it. Otherwise it's definitely not even going to help you. But what a lot of people don't realize is that a lot of the rootworms are starting to pupate already. They're done in our region. 
they're, they're usually going to feed from, let's call it mid to late May is when they're going to hatch. And then they're going to be done by the 4th of July most of the time. So you're already way too late. And anyway, I, I, I just say with corn rootworms, they are a major problem. They're still the number one pest in corn, number one insect pest in almost every cornfield that there is out there. It doesn't take a whole lot of root damage to lose a lot of yield. So even on our farm, even when we're using a smart stacks corn or something that has a trait to kill rootworms, we're still using insecticide just to be on the safe side. We worry about resistance. We worry about the even if the bug does die, if there are too many of those bugs, they still do some damage to that root before they die. So we want good control all the time and Corn is just worth too much money now. And I mean, we, well, other than this year where we don't get any rain, but normally we have at least 250 bushel potential and we got five or six dollar corn. My goodness, there are dollars at stake there. So we can't have rootworms taking away our yield. It's just, it's a major pest and it's something that you have to treat for at planting time. All right. Well, here's the other side of this brand. We're starting to see adult corn rootworm beetles emerge. And uh, I know it seems crazy, but the growing degree units that many areas of the corn region are accumulating, it's coming fast this year. And as those adult beetles emerge, they like to feed on silks and they can create some havoc that way. But another big thing is just laying more eggs for next year. So you know there's going to be even more of a problem next year. So look at corn rootworm adults and you'll see different kinds of beetles, whether it's northerns or southerns or westerns. Or, there's several different types out there, so they look a little bit different. But if you see those adult beetles on your silks or anywhere on your corn plants, that may be a, a consideration for you as well, especially if you're going out there with a fungicide. It doesn't cost much to add an insecticide in there, and you should see a little less pressure from corn rootworm next year. But that doesn't mean none, but at least it helps. The more of those adult beetles, it's not just a revenge kill. I've had some people say, ah, oh, no, that's just a revenge kill. The damage is already done. Yeah, they may not hurt your yield a whole bunch, the adult beetles, by clipping off all your silks or something. I have seen that in a few cases, but just it is going to lead to more problem next year, so get them under control. Here's the other thing. Rootworms over time have adapted to crop rotation. So northern corn rootworms have been found to have what's called delayed diapause. So the eggs are laid and they don't hatch for a year and a half. So they, they entirely miss your soybean field and then they're back when you go back to corn. With the western corn rootworm beetles, they've been found, many of them, to lay their eggs in soybean fields. So when you're out scouting for soybean aphids and bean leaf beetles and grasshoppers here this summer, also be on the lookout for these corn rootworm beetles. Usually it's the westerns that you're going to find. Uh, but anyway, any corn rootworm beetles, if you can control them also, then that helps you for your corn rootworm population going into corn. We're going to talk about corn rootworms on today's program. Stay tuned. You work for results. That's why the Enlist Weed Control System gives you flexible tank mixing, near zero volatility, a wide application window, and proven weed control. Because the Enlist system was built for your results. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts. 
at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. In an uncertain market, you need to maximize the quality and profitability of your stored grains by controlling profit-robbing insects. A tank mix of Daikon IGR and Sentinel EC insecticide, or Daikon IGR Plus, offers the long-term control of an insect growth regulator and the knockdown power of a broad-spectrum insecticide. Keep your grain clean with grain protectants from Central Life Sciences. To learn more, contact your local dealer or visit bugfreegrains.com. Join us for the Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 29th on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. I'm Darren Hefty. We're putting on a full day that you won't want to miss. Yield champs will share about raising yields and profits. Industry experts will discuss drainage law, estate planning, grain marketing, and the H-2A program. Plus, we'll show you dozens of research plots and have equipment running out in the field from Case IH, John Deere, Agco, and more. Don't miss the free Ag PhD Field Day. Register now at agphd.com. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, talking about corn rootworms on today's show. Yes, that silent pest that you don't see below ground until it's too late, that you've got some damage out in your field, you've lost yield, you may have some stalks that are starting to lean. It's just not a good deal. We don't want to see corn rootworms out there. And as Brian mentioned, our crop is just worth too much. We can't tolerate that. So we got Brent Newberger with us right now with FMC to talk about that. Brent, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. All right. So what are you seeing this year out there? Are you seeing a lot of rootworms? I, I am. Uh, I just was digging some roots here um, this past Monday, and, and I was kind of surprised uh, the number of larvae and the size that I was seeing already because uh, I think all this warm temperature has uh, – got things going uh, underground as well as above ground and so um, there is some damage and, and i encourage everybody to go look all right so a lot of growers have not done rootworm digs before and we always have a lot of younger farmers on here too looking for ways they can contribute to their operation talk to us about that how do you do a rootworm dig and and how do you see if there's rootworms out there well there, there's really two ways that, that i like to encourage people to, to evaluate the first is Go dig about a coffee can size uh, root ball around uh, that, that stalk and, and then just put it in a five-gallon bucket and, and maybe put a couple roots in there. And then you just fill the bucket half, two-thirds full of water, and then, then kind of just shake the roots a little bit. And you're going to start to see the larvae float to the surface. And so then you'll be able to identify the sizes of, of the larvae out there. And a lot of times you'll be able to evaluate uh, how many and so you can really kind of get a gauge of of how many larvae per plant they're going to be very they're going to be white and obviously they'll come to the surface and you'll be able to see them move they'll have a little brown head and so that's a good way to evaluate uh, obviously they're, they're probably fairly small yet but but you you will be able to find them the other way you can just do is just wash off your roots and look for rootworm feeding 
and it's pretty very uh, telltale. And, and you can always go on the web to look at uh, what some some rootworm feeding is and how to rate those roots. But it's the best way to evaluate how your rootworm program has been performing. All right, talk to us about how uh, for a lot of growers their rootworm program is. Well, I'll plant a corn rootworm product that has traits in it to try and stop these rootworms. How have the rootworm traits been holding up? It's starting to really, you know, every time you, you pick up something from the university, you hear about more and more uh, resistance that's developing. And I guess it's no different than what we see with the herbicides. And we're seeing, you know, more resistance to Roundup every year. You know, is the point that, you know, can you really even kill water hemp anymore with Roundup? And, and so the same thing with some of the traits. Um, we use those over and over and we rely on those as our sole method of control. And if you do that over and over and over and over again, at some point you're going to see uh, the, a chink in the armor and it's not going to start performing as well. You know, there there are a lot of things out there and many growers that we talk to say, okay, I don't even care. If I'm putting a trade out there, I'm also going to be putting insecticide in. Uh, talk to us about insecticide choices. I, I know there's a number of different products that you represent. What are you seeing and, and what are some things growers should know? Well, you know, a lot of people have really looked at, you know, hey, what do I do to control that larvae and reduce that feeding? So they use a trait or they use an app, plant insecticide to help reduce that. I that that's a good method, you know, whether you're using liquid products like some of the Capturella flower products or there's granules that you can use. But but I, I guess the thing that I'm starting to see and as I'm looking at the total rootworm management is really looking at a different life cycle. And, and so I'm looking at, okay, we got the traits, and, and stuff that's going to control the larvae and help. But how can we reduce that number of larvae? And the best way to do that is use some adult control, control the, the, the moms and the dads, the males and the females, so we reduce egg laying. If we reduce egg laying, we ultimately reduce the number of larvae the next year, so we're doing a selection and, and reducing our selection pressure. And the uh, product that we've been using here the last few years, Stuart, is a new class of chemistry, and has been doing an excellent job. That's good news. I agree. When we can get different chemistries out there, I think no matter if we're talking insecticides or, or herbicides or fungicides, I think that really helps us in terms of resistance management overall. And like, like you had mentioned with the traits, they're they're not quite working as well. So that's something we are definitely concerned about. We're talking with Brent Newberger here with FMC. Brent, thanks for all the info today. Really appreciate it. Keep doing those root digs and let us know what you find. All right. Thank you very much. You bet. I've got our friend Dean Grossnigel with Syngenta down in Iowa as well. Dean, how are you doing? I'm doing good. And yourself? Well, pretty good. Brent was trying to steal a little of your thunder. He said his root digs ah. in Iowa, he's finding some corn rootworm larvae. What are you seeing out there? Well, that is, uh, I, would, I would happen to agree with him. So, um, obviously, this dry weather's not done us any favors as far as, uh, you know, getting moisture or saturating that soil to reduce uh, larval populations uh, once they hatch. Uh, seeing pretty heavy pressure out there. Um, obviously, this derecho band that we have that went through um, is basically like growing corn on corn in some instances. And so we got a lot of uh, a lot of volunteer corn that's going to keep some rootworms uh, alive and and um, and hatch and cause problems for the next year. Or so. 
Um, I think it's a hidden problem that not too many people are talking about, but those people that are scouting their fields are finding corn rootworms and are finding that it seemed to be problematic again this year. So, You know, I was talking about that a little bit to start the show off, that I don't think that a corn-soybean rotation really helps us very much with corn rootworm anymore just because volunteer corn can definitely be a host. And so many operations that I see are not controlling that volunteer corn early. They're getting out there late. And then you have a year like this year where some of that volunteer corn got started late. I was just talking to a farmer this week that said, I didn't have any volunteer corn out there until we finally got uh, a half inch of rain. It's the first rain we had. And he said, all of a sudden I got volunteer corn starting to grow. So it's been a challenge. Uh, no doubt, no doubt, and and like I said, this derecho is really causing uh, areas really causing a problem, and uh, I think people are going to be surprised about the uh, the amount of you know it is acting as a host uh, for that corn rootworm. It's going to emerge, and there it's it people don't have it on the forefront of their mind. You know, they think I got corn soybean rotation, I'm good. Hey, everything's going to be grand next year. And we really got to be more proactive about that. And that's why I'm trying to tell people to try and, uh, you know, if you're, if you, if you were in one of these areas that has heavy corn rootworm or not rootworm, but heavy volunteer corn, throw out some sticky traps or something like that. Just get a gauge uh, or even go out and dig some volunteer corn, do a little root float on that. Are you seeing larvae that are on that volunteer corn and is going to be problematic or stick out some sticky traps for this year? You know, it's basically going to be about, uh, one and a half, uh, you know, two beetles per day per trap is going to be, you're going to want to uh, think about doing something for corn rootworm next year in those fields. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things that we've got to manage well. I look at the yield loss and some of the university studies over the years. It's it's amazing how much yield volunteer corn pressure can take. And then you throw in a dry year in many areas. That's a challenge, too, because corn gets taller than beans. It shades out and takes away sunlight, but it also takes moisture and nutrients with it. So that's definitely not a good thing. Talking with Dean Grossnickel yeah. here with Syngenta. Uh, Dean, any last comments you got on corn rootworm? No, just, uh, again, uh, be proactive. Scout. And then if if you do find that, you know, hey, we're reaching thresholds where we need to do something for, for the next year, uh, you know, one, you can you can try and attack them with uh, trying to do some adult control, although that is very problematic with how long these things can hatch and everything. But then, then think about a soil-applied insecticide next year in those fields. And uh, obviously Force uh, Evo and Force uh, 6.5G has been tried and true. So uh, we do have options for it. We just got to be proactive and be, uh, you know, uh, think ahead to next year. I love all that positive uh, news and optimism that you got there, Dean. Hey, we can do this. We just got to plan ahead. But I didn't like that the derecho is still still impacting things <laughs> this year. It's like, oh, no, man, that's a storm yeah, that just keeps yeah. on giving. <laughs> for sure. Well, thanks, Dean. We really appreciate having you on. Thank you. We'll see you. We're talking about corn rootworm on today's program. Also taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back.
Pentair Hypro Ultra Low Drift Nozzles are your ideal choice for the Enlist E3 herbicide system. With coverage comparable to flat fans and with 90% less drift, ULD nozzles meet all required standards for Enlist applications and provide optimal performance of contact herbicides. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from FarmShop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit farmshopmfg.com for more. Help keep the toughest, most resistant diseases out of your fields with Lucento fungicide from FMC. An exclusive novel premix of two modes of action delivers broad-spectrum control and a long-lasting protective residual. Tackle key diseases in corn, soybeans, wheat, peanuts, and sugar beets. Choose Lucinto fungicide from FMC. Visit your FMC retailer or lucinto.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions for use. Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash Howler to learn more. Please join us for the Ag PhD Field Day coming up Thursday, July 29th on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day is the largest farm field day in America, and we have a lot planned again this year. We host the event just one day each year as a way to say thank you for listening to Ag PhD Radio and watching Ag PhD TV. We have free admission, free parking, and free food and drinks throughout the day. We've got yield champs from across the country speaking about raising higher yields and increasing profits. We also have speakers on drainage law, estate planning, changes in farm tax laws, grain marketing, and the H-2A program. Plus, we'll show you some of the dozens of research plots we're working on. Rob Sharkey will be there to do a live Shark Farmer radio show, and we'll have equipment both on display and running out in the field from Case IH, John Deere, Agco, and more. Don't miss the free Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 29th. Go to agphd.com to learn more and register. When it comes to crop disease, the longer you wait, the more damage you do. Stop the clock on crop disease with DuPont Approach Prima Fungicide from Corteva AgriScience. Approach Prima Fungicide quickly surrounds the surface of the plant for rapid absorption, then moves throughout the plant, providing full protection of each leaf and stem, even those that have yet to emerge. Uptake occurs on day one for healthier corn, soybean, or wheat crop that can deliver higher yield potential and increased revenue per acre. For more information, visit approachprima.corteva.us or your local crop protection retailer. Always read and follow label directions. Talking corn rootworm on today's Ag PhD radio program. It's not just a corn discussion. Talked about a lot of soybean fields that we're seeing corn rootworm larvae out in right now as well. We're taking your agronomic questions throughout the show. If you want to talk about something other than corn rootworm, 844-44-AG-PHD is our phone line. Uh, Real happy to have Adam Varenhorst with us right now with SDSU at South Dakota State University. Adam, thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. All right, are you hearing about corn rootworm larvae, or are there other bugs that that growers are talking about right now? Well, we haven't had a lot of calls on corn rootworm yet or the larvae, but we know that they're out there. And uh, based on some degree day estimates we do from the soil temperatures, we would expect to see the adults coming out of the fields pretty soon. 
And so right now is actually a great time to start scouting cornfields and see what that rootworm pressure was like by digging the roots up and seeing what kind of feeding injury the corn has, if any. Because if we dig a little bit later in the season, those roots are going to be scarred up and discolored. Whereas right now, it's a lot easier to see right where the feeding was, and you can really easily see where it was fed back on the root. Yeah, I've had a number of growers talk about root issues this year, and and some believe them to be a cause of, uh, or I'm sorry, believe rootworm to be the cause. Others thought, well, maybe it's just hot soil and the roots have had trouble going down. How do you how do you see and how do you determine? Hey, this is for sure corn rootworm feeding. Well, that's a great question, and you know I've been hearing some of those issues too, where. Uh, it's been attributed to the dry conditions that in some cases we just don't have a lot of root side uh, root tissue available. And so with corn rootworm, they're typically going to be feeding on the first three nodes uh, kind of below the brace roots. And so if you have root tissue below there, that's not really fed on, but you have a few nodes or the rows around the stalk that are fed back, that's probably a pretty good indication that you have some rootworm pressure. Mm-hmm. And in those real severe fields where it's been uh, really heavy pressure for probably more than just this year, uh, in some cases there just won't be any root tissue at all left. Uh, but typically uh, with the corn rootworm uh, where we, we have that kind of pressure, like I had mentioned, if it, they have a little feeding, eventually those will scar. So an, a good root is nice and white. If you get some feeding on it, you'll have brown discoloration. And so that's another way to tell the difference between just the environmental impact and whether or not there's some insect pressure. You know, on some of these rootworm digs, I've had growers tell me that wireworm was a problem early this season, and, and they're still seeing some out there. What what are you seeing with the wireworm population in South Dakota? It's kind of a variable issue, and it's uh, anybody that's ever scouted for those know that they're kind of a pain because to really get a good idea of what kind of wireworm pressure a field has, you either need to put bait stations out in the fall or really early in the spring prior to planting. And so we know from some of our other research that we do have areas in South Dakota, especially where we have rotations with small grains, we can see quite a few, quite a bit of wireworm pressure. Um, and then, like I mentioned, it's very variable from field to field. And there's not really a good way of knowing if you're going to have a problem other than just scouting. But I hadn't heard a lot of problems this year with wireworms, but they're another one of those pests early season that can, they'll do a lot of uh, root feeding and they can feed even just right on the developing uh, seedlings so they can cause a lot of stand loss very quickly. I know growers have different strategies for fighting against some of these pests on corn, one of them being using the BT traits, another uh, higher use rates of neonic seed treatments, and then, of course, uh, some of the insecticides that growers could put in furrow trying to go after these rootworm. What Of those treatment methods, which ones do you see working well? Which ones do you have some concern about? You know, in South Dakota... Uh, we haven't had any confirmations really of any issues with corn rootworms with towards the BT proteins. However, uh, there probably are fields out in the state and they just are haven't been reported or just they haven't been noticed as having the issue. Our neighbors in North Dakota have uh, seen issues with some of those proteins, BT proteins towards both the northern and western corn rootworms. Uh, Minnesota and Iowa 
have had issue historical issues with the western corner worm with bt so that's something we're always keeping an eye on and one of the things i think that's a, a good quality for south dakota is we we do have a lot of crop rotation we don't see quite as much corn on corn rotation as we do in some of those other states and i think that's probably helping us a lot and as far as the insecticides i know a lot of people are starting to switch back uh moving away in some cases from the bt going back to those inferos and uh and or neonics with the bts uh one of the big things we always remind people is if you are using a bt you can have a seed treatment on that but we do not recommend using uh inferro insecticide just because at that point you're doubling up and if you aren't getting a benefit out of either the soil insecticide or the bt it's more economical to choose one or the other and not put both out in the field at one time. Another question that we've had uh, kind of specific to the Dakotas, Adam, has been some of the prevent plant acres. Do you see a rise in insect pressure in some of these fields where they weren't able to get a crop in, but but they had either a cover crop or, or it just grew back to, to weeds or volunteer crop out there? You know, uh, at this time of the year, we don't see too many issues with those fields, but I know last year we had quite a few issues uh, early season because in some of those cases, the weeds were tilled under and we essentially had a lot of green manure out in the field. And so we had issues with seed corn maggots. And that's something we don't normally have a lot of problems with in South Dakota, but we also had some reports of those here this spring. And I kind of think we probably are now dealing with that weed seed bank being increased from when that was prevent plant and we're probably going to have some issues in those fields for maybe another year or two with the seed corn maggots in the spring and just with those it's really important to keep an eye on it uh can can put an application on to slow them down after the crops emerge before they emerge the neonic seed treatments are really our best option uh, in trying to reduce those uh and slow down their feeding so those and then uh my guess is we are probably seeing some increased wireworm pressure in those fields as well. So anytime we get green material in the spring, uh, weeds growing, it can lead to a lot of issues because it also can attract some of our cutworms and other pests that are looking, the moths are looking for those areas where there's already cover and a place to lay the eggs. So just always something to keep an eye out for. Yeah, it certainly is. Uh, one last question, just switching gears here, Adam. Talk to us about the gall midge larvae issue in soybeans. What are you learning on that? Are you finding any control methods at work, and, and are you seeing populations staying flat, or are they on the rise? So that's a great question, and it is something we've, we've been working on as hard as we can for the last few years. And uh, in South Dakota, we are seeing, especially down in the southeast uh, counties, we are seeing some populations showing up. So we we put traps out every spring to try to catch adults so we can time uh, and try to get some uh, applications of insecticides going to reduce the movement. But uh, in South Dakota this year, we caught just a few adults, but we are finding the larvae in the soybean now. So there were obviously some adults emerging, probably more than what we were capturing. But we look at our... Uh, collaborators down in Nebraska, they've been catching quite a few adults and they've had larvae. They typically see the infestations a little earlier than us. And then in South Dakota, it seems like as you move north on the interstate, the issue becomes less and less. And I know in North Dakota, they've been looking for 
soybean gallmage for two years now, and they haven't come up with any yet. So uh, as we move north, it doesn't seem like it does as well, uh, and maybe also west. So there's a lot of things we're still looking at. We aren't sure if these dry conditions we're seeing in South Dakota this year are going to affect their populations. It's going to be a learning experience for us and see if maybe we see either reduced or increased populations. It's probably going to be one or the other. But uh, so far for management, we don't have a lot of options. They're one of those pests that once they get into the plant, they're going to be really difficult to manage because from most of our observations, they're using either wounds from hailstones or the natural splitting in those early vegetative growth soybeans to enter the plant. The flies can't really lay the eggs in the plant. So and, and once they're in there, we just we just with. can't get them. It's one of those pests that inside that stock, pretty tough to touch. Adam Varenhorst with SDSU, South Dakota State. Thanks, Adam. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Do you need to replant soybeans due to cold temperatures? heavy rains, or another weather event? Weeds don't seem to care, and you have limited options for last-minute weed control. This is when you turn to Spitfire herbicide from New Farm. Unlike other Phenoxy herbicides, Spitfire can be applied up to seven days before planting. Fields treated with the dual active power of Spitfire will benefit from weed control that will ease planting and help your beans establish a good stand. Spitfire from New Farm, here to help. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards. And that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Please join us for the Ag PhD Field Day coming up Thursday, July 29th on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day is the largest farm field day in America, and we have a lot planned again this year. We host the event just one day each year as a way to say thank you for listening to Ag PhD Radio and watching Ag PhD TV. We have free admission, free parking, and free food and drinks throughout the day. We've got yield champs from across the country speaking about raising higher yields and increasing profits. We also have speakers on drainage law, estate planning, changes in farm tax laws, grain marketing, and the H-2A program. Plus, we'll show you some of the dozens of research plots we're working on. Rob Sharkey will be there to do a live Shark Farmer radio show, and we'll have equipment both on display and running out in the field from Case IH, John Deere, Agco, and more. Don't miss the free Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 29th. Go to agphd.com to learn more and register. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide. 
brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF. That's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Hey everybody, come on in. The Ag PhD mailbag is about to begin. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD if you have an agronomic question. Or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. That's what Billy did. He said, I've got a salinity issue that I've noticed is spreading more rapidly recently. I live in Alberta, and our province does not allow you to do tile drainage agriculturally. I was wondering if you have any suggestions of what I could do if I can't get this thing tiled, another issue is that it's low enough. Even if I could tile, I would need a lift station, which may just cause some more issues. I had some neighbors that built an approach without a culvert, and now it backs up excess water in my field. Is that allowed where you guys farm? Well, in terms of allowed, that that's a real gray area. I will say this, you're not supposed to back water up on anybody else, no. But, you know, there are times when it happens and neighbors just get along or just ignore it, whatever. And, you know, we're in a drought right now. We haven't had rain in a year. Uh, I mean, we've had 10 total inches of precip in a year counting the snow. So, I mean, there's, there's none of that kind of issue right now anyway. But where I'm going with this is on salinity, um, it's a real problem if you can't tile your ground. So when we start talking about laws, I mean, that's the biggest thing. If I'm a farmer in that region, I'm, I'm getting together all the farmers I possibly can, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start petitioning to, hey, you got to let us tile. The, the main thing that a lot of people get worried about is, oh, we're going to flood people out, which is complete and utter nonsense. Because when you think about it, how do farmers pay for tile lines? Well, they only pay for tile lines with yield increase. If I have a yield increase, am I going to use more water or less? Well, I'm going to use more. There's literally going to be less water going downstream. Uh, and in terms of the environmental benefits, it's awesome. I mean, it's going to help you in terms of making your water cleaner, you know, going downstream. You're going to have less erosion. I mean, there, there are just so many benefits. And, and I, I would encourage you, and this is something that we talk about often, is read environmental benefits of tile drainage. Just do a quick Google search. Look for environmental benefits of tile drainage. It actually came from Canada, University of Guelph. They, they, there were a couple of people who did a summary of like 86 studies that had been done over the years on tile, and it's mostly university studies done on tile, but it's showing all the great things about tile. There's absolutely zero reason why tile should be outlawed or banned. That's ridiculous. It's fantastic for farmers. It's fantastic for uh, downstream neighbors. It's fantastic for people in the city. It's fantastic for the government because they're going to, in the end, collect more tax revenue because there are more dollars produced off those acres. So anyway, I, I don't know why anybody would ever fight tile unless you want to turn everything into a swamp. Uh, 
and kill the ground. So if that's your goal, you just want swampland and and killing the ground, you know, then then it's fine. And then let's ban tile because that's exactly what's going to happen. So the higher your salinity level goes, the more dead that ground's going to be. And eventually it's so dead you can't raise anything out there. So I really, really feel for you that stinks. Um, what some people have tried to do is really deep tillage, building up their calcium levels, and, you know, those things can help, but tile solves the problem once and for all. All right. Thanks for the question. Got this from RD who says, what's the average height of sweet corn after about 26 days? You know, we're getting a lot of questions just like RD's here of, shouldn't my corn be taller or shorter? Uh, This year we've had a lot of heat, but also some areas have been awfully dry and we're seeing corn get to very advanced leaf stages and not be very tall yet so i don't know what to say rd what the average height would be on sweet corn obviously it's going to vary a little bit hybrid by hybrid but what we are seeing this year is in some areas that have been exceptionally dry the corn is going to be significantly shorter than it's been in the past so yeah it just depends on if you've got more heat and more moisture in those early growing uh early growing stages you can get some more heat, or I'm sorry, you can get some more height on the crop. The other thing you can do to increase height, we see a lot of growers utilizing gibberellic acid, especially in silage situations, to try to push the height up a little bit more. Uh, I don't know if your sweet corn is too tall or too short, or or if you're just kind of curious of what an average height is, but uh, the the heat is definitely going to make a big, big difference in that. Thanks for the question. Got this one from uh, Pradeep, who says, you guys talked about no-till. You talked about the pros and the cons. In our situation where we've got no-till, we deal with weeds that seem to get a head start on the crop, a lot of different weeds. Maybe they're, they're winter annuals. Also, we've got more insects that are just under the surface and on the surface with the the cover. Could you elaborate on how we, we like the advantages of no-till, but how do you deal with those two issues? Pesticides. So it's hard to do no-till farming without pesticides because you will have more weeds, or I shouldn't say more. You will have Different. more of yes, certain weeds, and then you definitely are going to have more insects. That's just the way it is. It's Our, The timing too, Brian, has been interesting because we've seen so many guys go to fall sprays, and it's not this huge percentage of the acres yet, but it's growing because they're seeing- For the weeds. Yeah, they're yes. seeing if we've got some winter annual weeds or, or possibly even biennial or perennial weeds, fall's a great time to get them under control, right. and then you don't have to deal with them in the spring. Right, exactly. So we actually, a lot of times, we'll see fewer grass weeds and more of certain broadleaf weeds, especially those, sometimes it's biennials, but a lot of times it's just winter annuals. And you have to spray them in the fall, and then it works out fine. And now I'm talking our geography here. I don't know where you're from, but I'm just saying in um, where we farm in the Northern Hemisphere here, that's when we will spray them. Now, with the bugs, yes, you're going to have more insects and no-till. That's, that's just a fact. What our dad used to talk about and our grandpas as well is in order to control bugs all they used to have was the moldboard plow and so they would bury stuff they'd die and then at least they had fewer insects but today we have 
pesticides that are amazing. So a lot of the pyrethroids, for example, um, they're great and very, very inexpensive. And by the way, the pyrethroids come from the chrysanthemum flower. So when people get all disturbed about, oh my goodness, you're spraying chemicals out there. Well, I'm basically sprinkling a flower all over my fields. So what's wrong with that? Uh, and, you know, quite frankly, with a lot of the herbicides that are used today, too, they were derived from natural things like the HPPDs, for example, that came from a colistamone tree. So they're from a tree. So that's the kind of stuff that we're developing or, or the industry is developing more and more of. And it's really exciting. Right. To get this question or comment in from a 92 year young farmer. He said, I got a message for the Hefty Boys. You guys are talking about the media, and the local media is not broadcasting farm information. I think you should have a school for some of the local media to try to educate them on what's actually happening in the farming community. Well, <laughs> yes, we we would love to have more media people participating in in the things that we do. But here's been our experience in the past. We found that the media people show up and they aren't there to learn. They're there to judge and they're there with an agenda where basically if they think farming's bad, they think biotech's bad, they think pesticides are bad, it doesn't matter what you say to them and what evidence you you give to them, they write something that is terrible or report something that is terrible. So it's unfortunate the direction that the media has taken in our country. I think it's very sad and it's not news at all. So when they say news and, oh, I'm going to watch the news, there's no news anymore. Uh, there's propaganda. So if you want to go watch some propaganda to one political party or another or one agenda or another, that stuff's out there all the time. But I don't see a whole lot that's just actual fact and reporting with zero bias. So it's an unfortunate deal, but that's the world that we live in. So what we try to do is just appeal to the general public, who a lot of times is more open to understanding the facts, especially when they come from farmers. So we farm, we live on the land. I mean, for most of my life, I drank well water. I mean, the last thing I want to do is pollute my well water and stuff like that. You know, it's just... It's, it's strange some of the bad information that gets out there, but I'll just put it this way. Farmers here in North America are doing an amazing job producing safe and very inexpensive food for the world. We'll get to more of your questions in the Ag PhD Mailbag next. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. 
Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Please join us for the Ag PhD Field Day coming up Thursday, July 29th on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day is the largest farm field day in America, and we have a lot planned again this year. We host the event just one day each year as a way to say thank you for listening to Ag PhD Radio and watching Ag PhD TV. We have free admission, free parking, and free food and drinks throughout the day. We've got yield champs from across the country speaking about raising higher yields and increasing profits. We also have speakers on drainage law, estate planning, changes in farm tax laws, grain marketing, and the H-2A program. Plus, we'll show you some of the dozens of research plots we're working on. Rob Sharkey will be there to do a live Shark Farmer radio show, and we'll have equipment both on display and running out in the field from Case IH, John Deere, Agco, and more. Don't miss the free Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 29th. Go to agphd.com to learn more and register. Your soil, your season, your edge. Make the new three-point Soil Warrior Edge from Environmental Tillage Systems your strip tillage system. Because you don't get to choose the condition of your soil, the Soil Warrior Edge is engineered to handle whatever's in your fields. That same durable engineering goes the extra acre when that's what you have to do. The new Soil Warrior Edge three-point mounted strip till system. Learn more at SoilWarrior.com. Back listening to Ag PhD Radio, right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time, and and one that we got into uh, just a little bit earlier this week, I believe, was about how how do you need to uh, or how long do you need to keep the crop weed free? We talked about corn; you need to get at least one foot tall corn. I uh, got one from MA said, so if I get you right, weeds do little to affect your yield. If your corn is past two feet tall, that's right. They aren't going to impact this year's crop as much if you've been weed free up to that point. But then, yes, you're going to have seed production out there. So you're going to have weed seeds. So you're going to have more of a problem next year. That's why it's important to get them under control. Uh, Let's head uh, to the phone lines here. Got our friend Patrick Gotch, uh, RFD TV with us. Patrick, how are you doing? I'm doing good, fellas. How are you? We're doing well. We're doing well. What have you got today? I just wanted to remind you there is one un- unbiased news service out there. <laughs> the news each day. It's called RFD TV. <laughs> I was wondering, and Brian didn't say anything, so I'm like, uh-oh, uh, we're going to yeah. get a call here. <laughs> and so you got one. <laughs> no, I so, appreciate that, anyway. Patrick. And, you know, honestly, that that's a, I'm glad you called in, too, because we get this a lot. We hear from people, and they say, well, you guys need to do more to speak up, and I'm sure you hear the same thing at RFD TV, and we just encourage everyone. Hey, you're a farmer. Speak out. Tell people what you do. What? How do you encourage farmers when they say that? I know we've been running this scroll on the air for quite some time now. You know, the whole goal is to reconnect city with country again, and and that's why we're pushing so hard with this scroll to contact your senator and congressman, and encourage them to support this agricultural news and and rural content. Uh, bill that we're trying to get attached to to this rural infrastructure bill or or something else it it is very important and you know you're right on when you talk about 
the other news that they're just there's just no real news out there anymore on a national basis from from urban based uh television network. So Patrick, why do you feel like and at least this is the way I feel that almost all the news or any reporting that there is, any stories that there are, it's all negative toward agriculture. Why isn't there positive stuff about agriculture? The uh the uh, level of knowledge, the the connection to rural America isn't there anymore. They don't get it. I mean, and 40 years ago everybody grandma and grandpa had a farm. Yep. You know, mom and dad had a farm or they came from the farm and it's a generation removed now and it's just misinformation. It, it's like, uh, you know, New York City used to be where they held the NFR every year. Uh, and we were trying to get a rodeo in Madison Square Garden last year before COVID. And we were doing it for one reason only is that they've gotten so disconnected from rodeo that then that things like animal rights issues that, uh, our misconceptions are, are allowed to grow. So it, it's a big problem, you know, and, and all that. It, it's just, uh, it, it's not healthy for either urban or rural America. So, but somebody has got to start doing it. And that's what we're trying to do in connecting with the city and country again. Yeah. You bring up the animal. Anyhow, that, that, oh, go yeah, ahead. That's a little too serious. I, I got <laughs> You know, I just want to tell you guys, we're really looking forward to Ag PhD Field Days this year. Uh, we're going to be up there with Mark Oppold uh, broadcasting every half hour, some kind of hit. And then uh, my brother uh, is going to come up, Mickey. So it's going to be the Gotch brothers uh, coming up to the Hefty brothers. And uh, and we're thinking yesterday maybe challenging you guys to a wrestling match. <laughs> I was thinking a pie eating contest the wrestling or something, match Patrick. Doesn't sound fun. <laughs> yeah, that that's that, yeah, pie eating. That sounds boring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, and by the way, uh, Mickey is uh, one of the stars of the Next Level Farming TV show that you can see on RFD TV. So, yeah, uh, Pat. Yep. So so Patrick, what do you think of Mickey's performance uh, so far on the uh, Next Level TV show? I didn't know he was so bullheaded. Uh, he's, been, he's been farming 35 years uh, and had a lot of success. And uh, trying to get him to change his ways and do things the way Randy and, and David want to do has been uh, kind of fun to watch. A lot of the great stuff Alex isn't putting on the air. Um, but they're really, uh, you know, they're bringing him, and he's coming around this year. He is. The, He's making uh, some big improvements. Yeah, the the crops. Yeah, I was down there yesterday. They were filming for the second season, and and even I could tell. Man, it, I mean, some of these uh, corn stalks are shooting off three and four, you know, stalks off of one area, and you know, we're told that's good. It, it just looks really good. I, it's going to be interesting to see how big of an improvement he's going to have from year one to year two, and I think it's going to be substantial. Well, one of the things. Mickey's starting to come around. He's starting to believe in it a little bit. <laughs> well, one of the things you have going for you is you got some center pivots up down there, too. So, of all years, this yeah. is really the year to have that irrigation going. Yeah, we had Valley Irrigation out yesterday, and and uh, they've got sensors in the field, and, and just they've been running almost nonstop. We put in electric uh, motors on all of them and uh, got the local power company to bring power out. So, so yeah, it, it's uh, they're gonna 
they might pay for themselves in one year. So, Patrick, you talk to a lot of ag companies. What are what are companies saying to you? What's what's kind of top of mind for you and for them as you're having discussions with them here over the last couple three months? Well, you know, the, the big jumps in prices and everything's just caught everybody by surprise. I think they're trying to figure out what to do, and then on top of that, they're trying to figure out what to do when they can't get any. You know, they're limited on getting products or. or computer chips or whatever else so uh, i don't know it's uh, that, but there's nothing but enthusiasm out there enthusiasm for agriculture enthusiasm for western sports and people are people are glad to be out and about again and, and together i was at the reno rodeo last week and everybody's got a big old smile on their face and it's just you know i'm optimistic and i think everybody else is optimistic too and and uh you know, everybody will figure out these shortages sooner or later. Uh, so we we brought you on the show, and for for some of our listeners, I assume they probably may not even know who you are. But Patrick is the one who owns RFD TV and also the Rural Radio Channel. So we're very pleased to be joined by him. But uh, Patrick, just r- real quick, uh, we got a couple minutes left here. What's anything new and different that you wanted to talk about since we have you on? Uh, that's going on at RFD TV or uh, or Rural Radio or just the Rural Media Group? Yeah. Yeah, I got. Thanks for bringing that up. Uh, today, Scott Shalady started as a full-time uh, market analyst at RFD TV. We're really trying to step it up, you know, with, with prices going up ninety cents and forty cents and down fifty cents one week. We want to, yep. you know, really expand, do a lot more than just well, corn's up four cents today, and you know, we want to really get in and, and behind it. Scott knows a lot of people in Chicago and around the country. Uh, so we're, it'll be a lot more an, uh, analysts. Uh, he's looking to do some primetime uh, market shows, or we could do some roundtables, and hopefully you guys will participate in it too. Get Cargill and Archer Daniels Midlands and everybody, in and, and really do some educational shows now more on uh, puts and calls and and everything that can be moved. One of the things that he and I were talking about this morning is. That, one of the reasons these markets jump so much now is there's no traders in the pits anymore. I don't know if people realize that. I mean, it's all electronic now, so. Well, we have a know, first. The, yeah, we have a first cousin who is a who still has a seat on the board, and he lived in Chicago for many years. He moved to Spearfish, South Dakota. I'm going to say seven years ago. Right. Still trades, but it's remote. Right. He has somebody you know that works for him in Chicago. But yeah, he was when I know when he left, and he may still be this. He was the second largest trader in the corn options pit. I mean, it's enormous what he's doing, and yeah, he's just doing it on a computer and different times of the day too. That's the other thing he was just telling me when I saw him recently. Yeah, I don't sleep much at night, you know, because I got night trading and I got, it's like, oh my goodness, (laughs) it's really something. Well, it's just, that's what's changed. The human element really has been taken out of it. And and that's why Scott thinks these markets are going to keep being volatile, you know, both ways. Yeah, I don't disagree with that at all. Well, but I think there's chances for farmers to take advantage of that, you know, at some, sometimes. So we're going to, we're working on that. We're going to work on our markets and and uh, he's the guy that wears the funny uh, cow <laughs> on all the other channels. <laughs> all right. Well, again, we've been talking to Patrick Gotch. Patrick, thanks for calling in. We, we appreciate hearing from you. Yeah, we'll bring Scott up to Ag PhD Field Day. Too. Sounds great. All right. Great talking to you.
Now, it's going to be a fun field day this year, no doubt about it. There's a lot of excitement and enthusiasm like Patrick was talking about. Thursday, a lot of July 29th. It's always the last Thursday in July. Well, thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.